This is Fans on the Run, a podcast made by, for, and about Beatles fans. And now, here's your host, Ethan Alladay. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Ethan Alexanian. Uh, that is how you say my name. I will emphasize this every week until the hosts of Talk More Talk pronounce it right. Um, the main difference between this podcast and any other Beatles podcast is because um, I have no idea what I'm doing. So... Do with that what you will. Anyways, we I think we're going to have a good show today. Our guest today is the executive editor of Beatle Fan Magazine, author of Changing Times, 101 Days That Shaped a Generation. Mm-hmm. And if you've been to any Beatle Fest in the last 40 years, you'd recognize him. Al Sussman. Al, welcome to the show. Hi, Ethan. Nice to, nice to be here. Is it? Nice to be anywhere, actually, these days. Yeah. Well... I, I miss when we were actually allowed to go places. Yeah, that, that's for sure. <laughs> it's, I, I don't like living through, uh, I don't like living through a historical event. Yeah, I was, in fact, I was just talking to a friend who's uh, around, uh, around my age and we've seen, <laughs> we've seen a lot of stuff and, uh, you know, over a, a long period of time and uh, we've never quite seen anything like this. It's, it's, I, I don't even know, I, I have no words. Yeah, pretty much. It's, um, it's kind of indescribable. It's like something out of the bizarro, the bizarro world. In the midst of all of this madness, how are you holding up? Oh, fine. Fine. You know, I'm a, you know, A, I'm a creature of habit. B, I'm retired. And uh, uh, so it's not all that different. It's just that I'm, you know, I'm not able to, uh, you know, go places other than, uh, you know, a couple of times a week going to uh, the supermarket. <laughs> yeah, it's my crippling record-buying addiction. I'm oh, starting yeah. to go through withdrawal. I'll bet. Yeah. Luckily, I still have a uh, dealer, so to speak. Ah, uh, sure. Who, just as long as, like, you, you keep doing the sanitizing and the masks... Like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm still able to buy some records out of Toronto. So ah, good. Yeah, good. Uh, yeah, the uh, the famous um, the famous Jer- uh, Jerry's Records uh, in the uh, the Squirrel Hill section of uh, of Pittsburgh is is you know they're not operating you know with customers coming in, but they're doing mail order and other things. So they're still alive, but uh, but it's it's tough. I've been to Jerry's before. You have? Yeah. Um, oh. I went to Pittsburgh to see Ringo a couple years ago. Uh, I was probably there. Uh, at, uh, what's what's the place? I'm looking at the poster on my wall. Uh, probably Heinz Hall. Heinz Hall in 2018. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, we were at the same show. Yeah, exactly. All I really remember from Jerry's, though is that some homeless man came up to my mom in the car and started banging on the window. Yeah, not surprising. Yeah. 
unfortunately. Didn't have, didn't have many Beatle records, though, from my memory. No, I do. I, I, I seem to recall that they didn't really have, uh, you know, have a whole lot, but uh, um, they certainly make up for it with other things. Oh, yeah. Oh, they had like a really good Motown section. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm, I'm a sucker for, you know, 60s Motown and Phil Spector and all that. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, no question about it. That's uh, a lot of what I grew up listening to. So here's my favorite part of the show, Al. Is there anything you would like to plug? Uh, okay. The the new issue of Beatle Fan Magazine is uh, just, just out within the last, uh, uh, I guess, the regular subscribers have just gotten it within the last week. And in there, I've got the first part of a... Uh, uh, a two-part uh, kind of assessment of uh, Paul McCartney's 50-year uh, post-Beatles career. Mm-hmm. And how much do these Beatle fan subscriptions run you? You know what? I don't have the uh, I don't have the information on that. Uh, right at hand, uh, there is a uh, I, actually you can, can make find up out. a number. Uh, I don't, that I don't want to do, <laughs> but actually it's, e- it's easy to, uh, to get the information. There is a, a website, uh, www.beetlefan.com. Also, um, there's a Beetle fan page on, uh, on Facebook and I believe we have a Twitter account as well, but, uh, uh, certainly with either, either Facebook or the website. You can get the uh, the subscription information because, unfortunately, um, all of our, you know, the all of our old retail accounts are virtually all gone. Uh, Tower Records was like our uh, our our main uh, our biggest retail account, and of course, they've been gone now for several years. Yeah, I think so. The I think they... so the best way to get the magazine is to subscribe. I I think I'm going to have to subscribe in the near future. Oh, you absolutely should. Yeah, it's. I feel like I have to as a mm-hmm. Beatles fan. It's in the name of the magazine, Beetle Fan. I'm a Beetle fan. Yeah, exactly. I like magazines. Mm-hmm. What is there not to like? Yeah, absolutely. And and one of your previous guests, uh, Kid O'Toole, is our uh, uh, kind of our internet editor. Mm. And um, she does a column in every issue called Hard Day's Net. Uh, plus she does, you know, some features as well on occasion. Yeah. So, folks, next time you uh, go to your local Tower Records, make sure to pick up a copy of Beetle Fan. If you're able to find a Tower Records, uh, you're, <laughs> you've got a scoop. <laughs> or, or just get the subscription. Just yes. get the subscription. That's that's yeah. also there is we do have also a um, uh, a blog site called Something New. Oh, do so tell. you might want to check that out. I'll put the links to all of that stuff in the appropriate descriptions wherever okay. I, I... I need to get in the habit of putting people's uh, links and stuff in the uploads. Yeah. I'm, I'm still very new to this. Oh, I, you know, I've, I've been very... I, I haven't 
uh, heard the show with your with your uncle yet, mm-hmm. but the other three shows with uh, uh, with Susan Ryan and Kit and uh, and Ken Womack, all of whom are friends, um, uh, I really enjoyed a lot. I got word that Mark Lewison has heard my podcast and thoroughly mm-hmm. enjoys it. So yeah, I made this comment last episode mark if you're listening and i know you are (laughs) come on my show i i i i've made it a point that at some point i will have mark lewison on oh yeah it's it's Um, it's the end goal here absolutely yeah and he's uh yeah um you know unfortunately he's getting pulled in all different directions while he's trying to do the uh you know, the second volume. Second so. volume of the alleged three-part book series. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, it'll, but it'll be, it'll, it'll be worth the wait. Oh, I, I know it will. Mm-hmm. I'm still working my way through, uh, the first one. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm stupid, so it takes me a while. Now nah, it just it you know it just takes a while to because uh, there's an awful lot of information in there so it's uh, and I don't even uh, have the big expanded edition I just have the normal one yeah and that's so big enough. I have no excuse yeah 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 I'm giving um, myself a public shaming <laughs> not necessary. You Not son necessary. of a bitch, Ethan. Why haven't you finished it? You've had the book for three years. Uh, I've found that actually audiobooks. Um, That's you know, the thing. I have are... the audiobook too. Oh, okay. Well, that. Well, now then, you don't have any any, any excuses. I know. Because <laughs> like the audiobook will be will be quicker. I can't even pull like the well. I'm illiterate card yeah i host right. a podcast so i'm not deaf <laughs> anyways yes enough self-deprecation okay let's talk about you al okay al when did you first discover the beatles it was tuesday night january 6th uh no january 7th 1964 I'm um, I'm at home um, allegedly doing my homework. My, I was in eighth grade. Uh, allegedly, 15, don't fact check us on this. Right, allegedly doing my uh, doing my homework, or at least I was supposed to be doing my homework. Yeah. And uh, but uh, my concentration was more on um, WABC in New York, which at that time was becoming the biggest top forty station in America. Mm-hmm. And I was listening to Scott Muni, who later became um, one of the pioneers of FM rock radio in uh, in New York. Uh, and um, it was Tuesday night was always news survey night. Mm-hmm. And so I uh, always made it a point to uh, to, you know, to, you know, to to listen to the you know at least the first hour or so of the show to hear the top seven songs mm-hmm. of the week, while I'm allegedly doing my homework, yeah. and um, uh, so uh, and before they would do the survey, he had like an uh, like an oldies block, mm-hmm. 
And you mentioned something about a Beatles fan club. And I thought, what the hell is that? You know, and, uh, but, you know. So at this uh, you point, know, you didn't know who the Beatles were. No, I had no idea. Uh, and, uh, you know, it was, uh, yeah, but, I, but, you know, disc jockeys had fan clubs with weird names. Yeah. So I just oh, didn't really you know, think it was, anything. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the most prominent DJs of all time is, like, has the word Wolfman in the title. Absolutely. So you have to take everything with a grain of salt. Very much so. <laughs> and plus, this is also the decade of the pet rock, if I'm not mistaken. So no, that strange. Was the, that, oh. No, that was the 70s. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was going to say, well, stranger things have happened. Oh, well, yeah. Well, there were plenty of strange things in the 60s. Oh. Um, so 8 o'clock comes, and he starts doing the survey, and... Uh, you know, especially you get getting toward number one and Louie Louie by the Kingsmen, which had been number one. Great song. The, the, the last couple of weeks was had had dropped. And I'm trying to think what 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 on earth could be the number one song? It wasn't that it wasn't there. I've said it again by Bobby Vinton. It wasn't Surfing Bird by the Trashmen. OK, now I love that song. Oh, sure. Yeah, that's that's a, that's a classic. And uh, so gets to the number one song, and on comes the, the 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 jingle, and on comes this song that I had never heard before. And and my immediate reaction was negative, because it was uh, it was I want to hold your hand, mm-hmm. and it was that and she loves you really were so were so different. And from anything that was being played on the radio in the, in the, at, that, at that time, at the beginning of 1964, yeah. that it, it sounded like something from another planet. And my reaction was, uh, was negative. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then, you know, I get to get the this school. This doesn't but- sound like surfing bird. No, it, it doesn't sound like Surfing Bird. It doesn't sound like Louie Louie. It doesn't sound like um, California Sun by uh, the Rivieras. You know, it's uh, it's totally different. And uh, and then the next couple of days, I get to school, and and all these all these girls are going crazy over this group that they probably hadn't heard of a week before. And so I'm building up a pretty good you know, a pretty good uh, uh, level of resistance and, uh, you know, which, which, you know, really, la- in fact, and it was, it, it, it was getting stronger as January went on because at five o'clock in the afternoon on, again, on WABC, they would play, and, and in those days, they didn't play two or three songs in a row at all. And they played the, th- you know, the three Beatles records that were available at that point, which was "I Want to Hold Your Hand," "She Loves You," and "Please Please Me." Mm-hmm. Every afternoon at five o'clock. Weirdly, on three different record labels. Very true. Yeah, because um, because you know, as soon as "I Want to Hold Your Hand" took off, VJ paired actually "Please Please Me" and "From Me to You," the two singles that they had released. Mm-hmm. Um, on on a single, and Swan re-released "She Loves You," 
Yeah. And and both of them immediately took off. So, you know, I'm building up this uh, this level of resistance. And by the time we get to February and when they came to America and um, uh, appeared on the Ed Sullivan show, I was pretty much pretty much had the attitude of, OK, Beatles, show me how good you are. Show me that you're worth all of this, uh, all of this attention. And, did and they? Uh, well, the first show didn't do it. Really? Sullivan, yeah. It, the first Sullivan show, uh, just for whatever reason, maybe it was be because it was in a, you know, in the kind of sterile confines of a, of a TV studio. Al, I'm didn't... starting to suspect you don't like the Beatles. At that moment in time, I didn't. And um, so the first show didn't do it. The next week, the the second show, as you probably know, yeah. uh, was the one from in Miami, Miami Beach, and um, and that that was the one that did it because um, for one thing, the the sound mix was uh, accentuated. Paul McCartney's bass and Ringo's drums. Mm-hmm. And I mean, let's face it, there's the, the best rhythm section in all of rock and roll. So that got to me. Plus, um, they're playing, um, unlike being in a TV studio, they're playing on a stage in a, in a ballroom mm-hmm. and a small stage. So they're, so they're fairly close together. And there, at that point, I didn't, I didn't know this until years later, of course, but at that point, they were only a few months separated from, from still playing ballrooms in England. So they're, so they're really more in their element mm-hmm. at this point. Uh, and plus, also, when, uh, when they did This Boy and John, Paul, and George, you know, were together in front of that microphone... I thought that was like very cool. It still is. Yeah, it absolutely is. And uh, so that um, I was definitely getting getting one over. Let's put it that way. I wasn't completely there. And then the following week, uh, the show that actually had been taped on February 9th, uh, where they did Please Please Me and they did Twisted Shout, that did it. But that, that was that back can, to the sterile TV studio. It wasn't yeah, even live. Right, I know, and and it wasn't even live exactly. So, uh, but that was like the the knockout punch. <laughs> that so they actually so rather than give in to all of the hype that was going on, um, they actually won me over, mm-hmm. and I think maybe that's why I became the fan that I became. Mm-hmm. So you were a Beatles fan in terms of the U.S. pretty much from day one. Pretty much, yeah, except for, you know... Except uh, for January. Except for January and... Uh, a little bit well, of February. And, and a, fair, a fair amount of February. Mm-hmm. Certainly by the, uh, the, last, uh, the last Sunday in, in February 1964, I was a fan. Mm-hmm. So you got to experience the Beatles as they happened. Abs- that you know, that's something that I that I feel 
those of us who are from the the first generation, I think we were privileged in that in that respect that we got to experience this all in real time. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, not just the you know, not just the excitement of the tours and all, but also the development of their music. Mm-hmm. You know, from you know, from album to album, and which was you know, very eye-opening, and and also, um, uh, I think I think it made me uh, appreciate um, appreciate other um, you know other types of I, I shouldn't really say other types of music because I already appreciated other types of music. But I I did appreciate the fact that they're that they didn't that they weren't just a you know like a boy band doing yeah. doing the same doing the same stuff for seven years that they that their music developed and it developed in giant giant strides mm-hmm. that if you listen to each album. There's, um, you know, there's a there's a very great progression from album to album. Mm-hmm. I, I can't even imagine what it would have been like um, to have those things like hearing the first little bit of I Feel Fine for the first time. Yeah. Or, you know, experiencing Rubber Soul. Yes, Absolutely. And the funny thing is, with albums like Rubber Soul and Revolver, I actually, I would play them for friends. And they weren't, they weren't really all that impressed. You know, they, they had been fans and then it was like, I don't know, this is kind of different. And so they really weren't uh, weren't all that uh, weren't all that excited about those albums, and in fact, by the, say the beginning of '67, I had friends who were telling me that the Rascals were a better group than the Beatles. Now, hold on. <laughs> I I like Good Lovin' just as much as the next fella. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I would go that far. Uh, right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's, but, have you ever seen that clip of, I think it was American Bandstand, uh, mm-hmm. where they played Strawberry Fields and Penny Lane, and they were asking right. the audience what they think. They look like old men. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because none of them had mustaches, and then suddenly they all had mustaches. Yeah. Exactly. You know, and, and John had the, you know, it did started wearing the you know the granny glasses and and all and um, and yeah it was uh, it took some it it took some getting used to yeah you know but uh, uh, but yeah they uh, friends were um, convinced that that the rascals were a better group and but then and I and by this time Penny Lane and strawberry fields were out and and I said uh, okay yeah You'll see, and sure enough, you know, because the word was out that this that the next album was going to be, you know, something very special. And sure enough, when when my friends heard Sergeant Pepper, that was the end of any of this rascals are better than the than the Beatles stuff. See, 
there there isn't a, a fest for rascals fans. No, there isn't. But there's also not one for the Stones. There isn't one for the Who. Fair there isn't point. one for Bob Dylan. Yeah. You know, there isn't one for Dave D. Dozy Beaky Mick and Tit. No, there certainly isn't. And that that's disappointing. But, yeah. you know, <laughs> you have to live and let live. I'll talk to Mark Lapidus about that. Yeah, we'll have to do an offshoot for for Dave D. Dozy Beak and that. Don't even try to say it. You'll have a stroke. Yes. <laughs> it's taken me months of practice. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> so what was your initial reaction to um Sergeant Pepper? That's one of those one of those memories that you know I can I can absolutely remember as if it was yesterday going to um a store in Hackensack, New Jersey called the Relic Rack. Okay. And getting uh, and get it on that on the Saturday morning. So it was actually the day after the record was released, and uh, getting getting my copy of it, and getting home as quickly as I could, and uh, and putting it on uh, on this crappy little Emerson one of the one of these fold up um, record players. You know, I mean, they didn't have to speak. It wasn't stereo. It was mono. Yeah. But it was like, a, it was a portable, you know, a portable record player. Did you at least buy the mono record? That was all they had was okay. the mono. And in fact, I still have it. Really? I still have them for, I guess, really just for sentimental reasons. I still have that mono copy. Can I have uh, it? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, it is in such hideous condition you wouldn't want it anyway <laughs> yeah. it's oh yeah because it was played on again this crappy little portable uh uh portable record player and you didn't keep any of your other beatles records um i don't think so no no because the 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 mono ones i actually gave them um gave them to a girl that i was interested in <laughs> How'd that work out? Uh, unrequited. <laughs> so, <laughs> but Sergeant Pepper, I can't. Desolé. Yeah. C'est la vie. Uh, yes, exactly. Exactly. But uh, but yeah, that first listen was was absolutely amazing because it was, you know, it uh, it was unlike anything that I had ever heard. Mm -hmm. It was, um, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of hard to explain because, because yeah, Sergeant Pepper is kind of of its time. Uh, and it's, you know, it's not the, it's not the greatest album of all time. As some people say, it's not the Beatles best album. No, but um, I but still it's, don't understand why Rolling Stone has it as the number one album of all time. Well, I think it's because of the fact that it's the most important album. It is because it because it really changed the focus of the of the music industry from being one where the single was the pivot point 
to, and I mean, it didn't happen overnight, yeah. but it started the process. And the fact also that there was, you know, that there was FM, FM rock radio just beginning as well. Mm-hmm. That, uh, you know, that certainly helped in, in changing the focus from the single to the album. So the music industry kind of switched gears from 45 to 33. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much so. Especially, again, it wasn't overnight, but certainly by the, you know, by the beginning of the 70s, uh, that, was, that was it. You know, it was, really, it was really the album that was really the more, the more important unit. Where were you when you found out the Beatles had broken up? Uh, that's, a, that's another one. Um, I, I was working in those days for a, uh, a record distributor in, um, in Rochelle Park, New Jersey. And, um, and I was on the way, on the way to work. And um, <laughs> pretty much anybody that knew me back then, uh, if they, if, you know, if you were to mention my name, uh, they would say, oh yeah, that's right. That was that, that was that fat kid that always carried a radio around with him because I did. Don't beat yourself up. (laughs) No, hey, it's, it's fact because I did. I, you know, and, and in fact, to this day, I can't, you know, you know, cause I, I don't drive. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, so to this day, I do, uh, you know, <laughs> with my iPhone, uh, you know, I'll listen to radio or podcasts or whatever. So it's it hasn't really changed that much. But but that day, Friday, uh, April tenth, nineteen seventy, um, put the radio on. I'm on the way on the way to work, and I hear. Um, I had uh, WMCA, which was the other big top 40 station in New York on. And um, the, uh, the morning disc jockey comes out of a, uh, comes out of, I think he, I think they played, played a Beatles record. And he comes out of the record and he says, it's official, Paul McCartney has left the Beatles. And now this wasn't a complete shock because actually there had been a couple of days earlier, there had been some rumblings because of the fact that um, uh, media copies of, the, of Paul's album, his solo album, mm-hmm. uh, were beginning to kind of make the rounds. And, and in the album, in the media copies, were this self-interview. So there were rumblings that all was not well in uh, in Beatleland. And this is so, the same uh, interview where he said that the Lennon McCartney partnership is basically dead. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, it, it's funny because people because there was no there was no proclamation saying I'm leaving the Beatles or the Beatles are finished. You know, he just said in the in the self interview that he had no plans to work further with with the Beatles or to write with John or you know various other things um, and especially those of us who um, had been fans for you know a number of years already we 
you know, we kind of knew that they, they had always said that if one member of the group left, that would be it. Now, we didn't know that, you know, that, you know, that George had walked out during the Get Back sessions, that Ringo had walked out during the White Album sessions, that the previous September, John had said, I want a divorce. Mm-hmm. Um, so Paul was the first to make it public. And a lot of, a lot of us uh, did kind of assume that that's, you know, that's it. That's the end of the group. But there were others uh, who, uh, who thought, thought, well, you know, maybe, maybe this is just temporary and, uh, and they'll, you know, they'll get back, get back together. And then on New Year's Eve, Paul files basically, hey, sues, you know, sues them for divorce. Yeah. And that really was, that was the, you know, the, the sort of the final nail in the coffin to an extent. Yeah. So how did you turn from being just a Beatle fan uh, to kind of being a professional Beatle fan? Well, um, during that same period, uh, this is in the in the late sixties, I was doing a um, a teen center column for a, a little town newspaper in Maywood, New Jersey, called Our Town, and. Um, the, the column ostensibly was about what was going on in, you know, local events, dances, you know, what the local bands were doing. But I was, you know, kind of uh, subtly, you know, sneaking in stuff about the Beatles and about other, other rock groups. And I did that for about two and a half years. And then in the mid seventies, I did a uh, a collector's Q and A column for a kind of like a Rolling Stone esque um, record store freebie called Sounds Fine. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know if uh, I don't know if you're aware of it. There was a there was a magazine that uh, that catered to fans of punk and new wave called trouser press i've heard of the name okay uh and um they were around for a few years and i mean they it was a great magazine uh and then in 1979 they actually bought out sounds fine and they they wanted me to to do a uh, you know to continue the column I was doing, but to really make it you know kind of gear it more toward the the punk and new wave audience, mm-hmm. and I really wasn't prepared to do that. So I I you know I did one one column under the new uh, you know the new administration if you want to call it that the new regime and the new regime. Thank you. And it didn't really work out that well. So I just decided, so we just kind of mutually decided that I was going to move on. Plus, that was at the same time that um, at the Beetlefest in New York in February of 1979, um, I, 
um, I well, for one thing, that was like the first one that I was uh, kind of actively involved with. Uh, Mark Lapidus put me on a uh, a panel with Wally Petrasic and Nicholas Schaffner, the author I have, of the Beatles. Uh, Wally coming on next week. Great, excellent, excellent. He'll he'll be a great guest. And uh, Nicholas Schaffner, who unfortunately you won't be able to have on as a guest because he passed on uh, a number of years ago. Uh, but you're, I know, you, I think you, I think you mentioned it on perhaps on the show with Kit, uh, the Beatles Forever, which is one of the seminal Beatles books. So I was really, you know, I was pretty intimidated being on that panel. But also, um, um, Bill King, who was the publisher of, of Beatle Fan, he was there. Um, they had a table uh, in the flea market uh, with, his, uh, with his wife, Leslie. And uh, I, you know, met them and signed up as a, as a subscriber. And uh, I guess a couple of couple of issues later, uh, Bill put out the word that he was looking for a, a New York correspondent. So I figured, what the hell? <laughs> so I, I volunteered volunteered for that, and so I became the uh, the New York correspondent, and uh, which was basically in those days because there's you know there was no internet. There's no social media or anything like that. So basically my job as the New York correspondent was to take um, articles from newspapers, you know, pieces of news or, or features or whatever, and um, cut them out of the newspapers, put them in a, vanilla, uh, in a manila envelope and send them down to Decatur, Georgia, where uh, Beetle Fan is, is published out of. And um, so you were like a professional scrapbooker. Uh, yeah, you could you could say that, you know, uh, basically. Um, and uh, but it was like it was really more news gathering than, yeah. than scrapbooking. And um, uh, and then at the end of the uh, the first year, uh, the yeah, the end of the, of the magazine's first year, actually, I. Um, suggested that you know that I might like to uh, maybe do you know do an article or two and so my first two pieces were in the the first issue of the of the of Beatle fans second year so I just actually just recently celebrated my 40th anniversary with Beatle fan <laughs> it was a quick 40 years you don't look a day over 30. Yeah, right. <laughs> so you've been with Beetle Fan for 40 years now. Yes. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's... That's... A, that's like three times my life. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm 17. Yeah. In fact, uh, in fact, Wally... Um, uh, also came on board at about that uh, around that same time during the first year, and uh, in fact, he uh, it was Wally who actually kind of coined the um, 
sort of our our slogan, which is the the Beatles publication of record. Mm-hmm. And um, and of course, of course, at that by that point, Wally already had a uh, you know a pretty good. Uh, reputation because uh, at that point, I guess um, he and his co-author um, Harry Castleman, uh, they had done actually two of the three, um, the three huge discographies uh, that they did there at the uh, in the the mid and late seventies. One of them was all together now. I know that all together now was the first one, and then the second one was called the Beatles again. And the third one, which came out actually in the early 80s, I think uh, 1983 or 84, was called The End of the Beatles. Mm -hmm. You know, little, (laughs) little, little did we know that that was not the end of the Beatles, which, uh, which in fact is um, kind of the hook of a piece that I'm working on right now. Um, that'll be in Beetle Fan a little bit later on this year, and uh, uh, it's probably going to have to be like the McCartney assessment. Um, it's probably going to have to be split into two or three parts. Um, it's a, it's a piece on what I'm calling the afterlife of the Beatles, mm-hmm. because the band they that just wouldn't die. Yeah, absolutely. When you consider that they, uh, you know that. After the um, uh, the rooftop concert, they never appeared in concert, you know, again, mm-hmm. um, and and in fact never were never in a recording studio together after August of 1969. And despite that, they have had an incredible amount of success. In more the, than most bands, in while they're still together. That, that's very very true yeah very true you know they uh uh they've had just an, an incredible amount of success when you consider <clears throat> that they had in the uh in the 70s alone they had four top five albums three of which were two record compilations that would be the blue and red, and the blue and the red, and rock and um, roll music, and and rock um, and rock and roll music. Yeah, I was thinking it was either that or love songs. Uh, no, love songs didn't do quite that well. Mm. But uh, and the the said the one single one is the Beatles at the Hollywood Bowl. Yeah, which would have been a number one album, except for the fact that it was on the charts at the same time as Rumors. Yeah. with Mac. For a second, you had me confused there. And I'm like, Rumors? What Rumors? That the Beatles right. are getting back together? And then I realized, no, Fleetwood Mac, you fucking idiot. <laughs> Use your context clues, Ethan. Right, Exactly. <laughs> Fans on the Run, the podcast with the host that hates himself. Yeah. <laughs> and takes it out on his guests. Right. So, what do the Beatles mean to you now as opposed to back then? As opposed to back then. Um... Or it could just, if they still mean the same thing to you, 
like you can say that too well the the uh, the thing that i that i keep going back to is that they were um is is that they actually expanded my my musical palette quite a bit Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, in um, the spring of 1964, uh, a, a, a um, sort of promotion man, semi-newsman uh, named Ed Rudy mm-hmm. um, released a documentary album oh. of um, right. You've yes. probably I've you've seen probably that. seen it for the America the American tour, which was about the, uh, the Beatles first visit, mm-hmm. uh, in February of 64. And, um, on the Saturday, the second, their second day in America, he did, uh, this is when, when George Harrison was bedridden with, uh, you know, a little t- touch of the flu. Mm-hmm. And, um, while the other three were out were in central park doing a photo op, um, Ed Rudy was able to get George on the phone and um, they had about a 20, 25 minute conversation, which was, you know, I mean, for that time, a long form interview like that was, was really something. Mm -hmm. And one of the questions he asked uh, George was, you know, what, uh, what kind of music did you, you know, did you grow up listening to? And um, or or I no actually I think it was more the you know what what kind of music influenced the group, and he mentioned he mentioned the early Elvis records and he mentioned Buddy Holly, and Carl Perkins, and um, so that and I kind of picked up on that because I'm I'm a little bit too young to have really had much of a uh, of much of a background with 50s rock mm-hmm. because like when i mean i do have very vague memories of seeing elvis on the ed sullivan show in uh, in september of uh, 1956 but i had just turned seven mm-hmm. at that point and you know it didn't really didn't really register all that much with me no so, so I, I mean, I knew a couple of songs here and there, but, you know, I really didn't have much, you know, much in the way of context, with a musical context with Elvis. So that summer, I, I went over to a store and picked up the original Elvis's Gold Records album, mm-hmm. which was, you know, basically all of his um, hits from Heartbreak Hotel through Jailhouse Rock. Mm-hmm. So all the stuff from 56 and 57, which are, and those are the records that, you know, that, that turned on the future Beatles. Mm-hmm. And then I, and I also got one of the, there were, there were all these, there were so many different Buddy Holly greatest hits type albums. Yeah. So I got this one called Buddy Holly's greatest hits. And because, and, and I could tell immediately that they had been a, or that, how much they had been influenced uh, by by Buddy's music, and and so that you know that kind of 
began kind of the expansion of my of my musical palette to an extent mm-hmm. and um and I think, and especially the fact that their that their music developed the way it is, and the influence that they had on, on you know, the whole generation of American groups that emerged in '65 and '66. Um, so, you know, they really were a you know, like a major catalyst for a particular what I would consider a golden era of American rock music. Mm-hmm. So I think that's probably, you know, what, you know, what immediately uh, comes to mind when I think of like, what do the Beatles mean, mm-hmm. mean to me? Plus the fact that they're, you know, that their own music was of course, so you know, so incredible. I mean, there's. Um, I have debates about this with uh, with people. Um, as far as I'm concerned, they're the 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 Beatles catalog, the especially you know the core EMI catalog. Yes. Um, and the and the solo years are two completely different um, um, two completely different catalogs if you want to put it that way uh, because the you know there are you know there there are highs and lows in in the solo work it's its own entity it's its own entity but it's not as um, you know, it's the. It's not the as consistent. Con- it's not as consistent. Exactly, the consistency of the of the quality of of what they accomplished as a group just does not. You know, I mean, there's you know, there's plenty of good music mm-hmm. that they you know that they put out as solo artists, but um, but rarely did it approach the level of what they what they accomplished as a group. Mm-hmm. You know the what's the 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 the, uh, the saying is the uh, you know the 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 sum of the parts doesn't equal the whole. Mm-hmm. The only uh, pieces of the solo catalog that I think even approach the quality of anything the Beatles did, uh, all things must pass, and mm-hmm. um, I'm hesitating even saying. Uh, the Imagine album, but I'll I'll say that. Well, a lot of their work from the early, you know, the early and mid seventies. For one thing, they still had the the aura of the Beatles mm-hmm. um, with them, uh, but also and as, and of course there were a lot of, especially on All Things Must Pass. A lot of the songs that are on there are songs that George wrote while he was still a Beatle. Yeah. And which, in fact, uh, they they worked on to at least some extent during the uh, the during the sessions for the you know the Get Back album and 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 Abbey Road as well. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's you know, and uh, it's um, again though there were highs and lows, and I mean they, you know, I mean it, it, you can tell just immediately just on. Paul's first three albums, 
on McCartney, Ram, and the first Wings album, Wildlife. Um, there's there's stuff on there. As far as I'm concerned, there was never there was never filler on Beatles albums. Yeah. You know, later you know later on there were little curiosities like why don't we do it in the road or Wild Honey Pie. Take it. But yeah, yeah, exactly. But um, but there was never any you know there uh, because they they took the philosophy of wanting to put out a high quality product mm -hmm. with all their albums. So it wasn't like the old philosophy of, you know, would just put on, put on a couple of hit singles and then 10 pieces of junk. Yeah. But on the, on those first three McCartney albums, mm -hmm. you've got, you know, yes, you know, yes, you've got maybe I'm amazed and you've got too many people and you've got backseat of my car. Monkberry and, moon delight. And Monkberry Moon Delight and and uh, and uh, Tomorrow on on Wildlife and Dear Friend, but you've also got nonsense like Mama Miss America, Bip Bop, and, and Bip Bop, and you know, long haired lady, it's, it's three legs stuff like that, which just is not worthy of at least to me is not worthy of the McCartney name. Funny enough, Three Legs is actually a perfect way to describe Paul McCartney's second marriage. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, yeah, unfortunately, Heather was not really a very good muse. Nah. Because Paul has done, has done great work since, uh, you know, basically starting with Flaming Pie. And the one clinker in all of that, in all of the albums that he's put out from Flaming Pie right up through Egypt Station, the one clinker is Driving Rain. Or which as is the, uh, YouTube personality, Mean Mr. Mayo, who is going to be a future guest, yes. likes to refer to it as Thriving Pain. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. It's it's not a very good album, and so and that was the one where Heather was kind of like his his musical muse on that album, and uh, certainly was not the the muse that uh, that you know Jane Asher or Linda or Nancy had been. Yeah, because I don't think Heather gave Paul anything like maybe I'm amazed or even my Valentine. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. She wasn't uh, wasn't the kind of, uh, you know, musical inspiration yeah. that produced those songs. I just wanted to touch on a point that you said earlier, mm -hmm. that the Beatles turned you on to so many types of music. Mm -hmm. and, and the same is true for me, because I, I can even kind of map it. Like, without the Beatles, I wouldn't have heard the Stones mm -hmm. uh, or the Who. Without the Who, I wouldn't have heard the Kinks. Without the Kinks, I wouldn't have heard the Small Faces. Mm -hmm. Without the Small Faces, I wouldn't have heard the the Move, and right. del delved into this whole realm of '60s psych of the British Empire. Mm -hmm. um, so, and it's all res or it's the Beatles are responsible for it. Yeah, for absolutely inadvertently turning me on to all of it. Right. Exactly. They were the they were the catalyst. 
for all of that. Now, without the Beatles, most of that music we never would have heard here. <laughs> all right. What does it mean? Or, oh, wait, I already asked that question. Um, what's your oh, favorite yeah. Yeah, right. What does it mean to yeah. uh, to be a Beatles yeah. uh, Beatles fan to me, right? Again, fans on the run. The only podcast where the host doesn't have their shit together. What's nah, your, what is your favorite memory of being still. a Beatles fan? Boy, that's tough because, of, you know, actually I've already mentioned a few of them. <laughs> uh, you know, the first listen to Sgt. Pepper, the... Um, 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 you know the first the first listen. Do I want to hold your hand? Uh, things like that. Um, uh, let's see. Um, you can plead the fifth if you can't think of any more. <laughs> well, I mean there are, there are, there are a number of them. Uh, like I never now I never went. Uh, you know, guys back then didn't didn't really if like if you if you've seen obviously you've seen film of yeah. of the beatles in concert and if you look you don't see a lot of males there no and the ones you do see are plugging their ears they're either plugging their ears or they're you know like really geeky or they're there to pick up girls yeah it's like that guy from the robert zemeckis movie i want to hold your hand yes yes exactly Right, the greaser character. Yeah. Yeah, right. Um, Lives in the hotel. Right. So, uh, so I, you know, most guys didn't really go to... Oh, no, no, the Eddie Deason character. Yes, that's the one, right? Um, right, Klaus. Um, yeah. Yeah, Ringo Klaus. <laughs> and... Um, uh, but like most guys, you know, didn't, you know, they didn't go to the airports or they didn't go to the hotels and stand out front with all those girls or they, uh, you know, or they, and they didn't go to the concerts. Yeah. But you did see a lot of them burning their albums though. Oh, well, yeah. You know, well in 66 after that. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that's true. That's true, but that's uh, a particular brand of uh, of um, people who were really just looking to, you know, get on television or whatever. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> not unlike today. Yeah, I was um, going to say, the breed is alive and well. Yeah, it's And thriving. Is. Yeah, it certainly is, unfortunately. But, um, um, Especially with yeah, the reality so really... TV precedent. yeah. Exactly, exactly. But the... Um, I sit um, from my glass house as I throw stones. Right. As a Canadian. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. But the... Um, uh, now, even though, though, I didn't go to the concerts or anything like that, uh, because of how hugely popular they were, uh, the top 40 stations covered a lot of you know they cover their arrivals at the airport or they covered or wabc for instance had uh they had a mobile studio uh in the in the hotels where they stayed mm -hmm. 
And um, was WABC uh, Murray the K's station? No, that was WINS. And in fact, um, uh, they weren't around very long as in in the in the Beatle era because in uh, the beginning of early in 1965, they went um, they went all news. Oh, yeah. So they were they were out of the uh, the top forty uh, sweepstakes uh, pretty early on, um, and although Murray again later on, much like Scott Muni, went into you know FM FM rock uh, very early on. He was you know in a sense a pioneer there, but um, but as far as you know memories, you know hearing. Um, hearing Scott Muni and Cousin Brucey and people like that, you know, broadcasting from the hotels. And uh, when they played, when they, the first concert at Shea Stadium, the fellow that was, that did the Sunday night show on, on, on WMCA broadcast from the, the broadcast booth at Shea Stadium, where the um, you know the, the the booth where the the Mets games were broadcast from, mm-hmm. and um, at just just as the Beatles were being introduced by Ed Sullivan, uh, they were coming out of a commercial break, and you know you know obviously you've seen the film, so you hear the you know the the incredible noise mm-hmm. that was coming from, you know, 56,000, uh, mostly girls and, um, and, uh, Ed bear, the fellow who was the DJ, he's yelling, trying to kind of make himself heard above this din. So, so that, stuff like that, those are the kind of, you know, good memories and also the like the premieres of the uh, of the you know the 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 promo clips, uh, especially the the clips of uh, Hey Jude and Revolution on the Smothers Brothers show, yeah. things like that. Those are the you know kind of the the really good memories. All right, I'm gonna hit you with the quick fire questions. Okay, what is your favorite Beatles song? Uh, I cannot give you one. I can give you, I can give you five. You can, you can do five. Okay. I'm being a uh, little unfair by making you pick one. Right. <laughs> Cause nobody can give yeah. you one. And even like the top five changes from day to day. Uh, no, they're right. They're not in any order. Yeah. Um, and there are other things that could, that could go in the top five, but, um, at least these are the five. Um, all you need is love, no airman. Hey Jude, here, there, and everywhere, and here comes the sun. Solid choices. And if if um, and I wish uh, you know, it's squeeze into a top five, a sixth song. I would probably something by Ringo. I would probably pick Good Night. Really, I don't mm-hmm. think I've ever heard that mentioned as anyone's particular favorite yeah i know it's i i don't understand why because it's 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 a gorgeous gorgeous song I mean, it is it's, you know 
uh, you know, the, the you know, uh, the the gentle side of John Lennon. Although to me, it sounds something more like uh, something you'd find on the Moody Blues Days of Future Past album. A little bit because it's so heavily orchestrated. Yeah, which is interesting because people were so outraged about Phil Spector putting you know, an orchestra and voice, you know, choral uh, backing on the long and winding road, mm-hmm. but there's an orchestra and choral backing on good night. And I've never really heard anybody complain about that. Oh, I think that's because the Beatles intended it to be there. Well, yes, that's yeah. true. That's true. All right. What is your least favorite Beatles song? And if you say me- Mr. Moonlight. It's not Mr. Moonlight. Thank God. Thank God. You know, I, no one has said Mr. Moonlight for the last few episodes, but mm-hmm. I think it's the shell shock from my first two guests, both right. saying Mr. Moonlight. Yeah. That, that's kind of my knee-jerk reaction. It's like, fuck, don't let it be Mr. Moonlight, because I don't want to have to keep defending it. Yeah. For some reason, it's become fashionable to to knock Mr. Moonlight. And uh, I mean, it's, it's okay. It's, you know, it's just a, you know, it's a, uh, you know, it's an R&B cover. Yeah. If you want to hear my thoughts, listen to any of the previous episodes. Yes, (laughs) exactly. Yeah, exactly. But But what is um, yours? Um, probably, um, if I had to pick, if I had to pick one, Probably something like um, something like why don't we do it in the road? <laughs> you know, little curiosities like that because there really are. Um, I can't think of any any major songs of theirs that I would say this is probably my. Le- I mean, if I had you know, if you if you had to say something like. You know, no, no, you can't do one of those short little things. You have to actually do a, you know, a full song that would be your least favorite. Probably something like I Dig a Pony. Yeah. Not a big fan of that one either. Yeah. All right. What is your favorite Beatles album? Keep in mind, you can either choose from the British catalog or the U.S. catalog. It would, uh, well, again, I can give you a top three. Okay. Um, it would be um, The White Album, Abbey Road, and either version of Rubber Soul. Okay. And of course now with, you know, with Spotify, you can, you can actually, re- you know, make your own, you know, super duper Rubber Soul by, you know, combining the, you know, the, the American track listing and then the four songs from the British one and and then tack on we can work it out in Day Tripper yeah Uh, you didn't say revolver so I will have to deduct some points okay that is scientifically proven to be the best Beatles album don't fact check that don't google that um yeah (laughs) what is your least favorite Beatles album Okay, I'm gonna. And you can um, pick British, American, or even compilation. That's where I'm gonna cheat because I can't. I cannot say that any of the 
the the core catalog is a least favorite. Okay. So actually, the one I'm going to pick is Real Music. The movie compilation. Right, which, you know, I just thought was a, just not a very imaginative yeah. um, compilation. Cap- Capital was really scraping the bottom of the barrel. At that point, was. absolutely they were. Yeah. Cause it's yeah. it's like where where did they have to go from there? It's like ah, mm-hmm. rock and roll music, uh, love songs, uh, uh, the Beatles ballads, uh, 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 movies. Let's yeah, they had some of those. Let's do that. Yeah, and and then and then uh, the the next one after Real Music was you would have figured would be a you know a sure shot to be a a hit album uh, called 20 Greatest Hits. Yeah. And it peaked at number 50 on, at least in America, it, uh, it peaked at number 50, which was the, the worst performance of, I think, any Capital, Capital, Apple, Beatles album. Oh, and Apple you had know? nothing to do with that at that point. Uh, well, it was, they were, you know, yeah, I mean, it was basically, although there was, there was a version of that same album that was released in England that actually did a little better. But, uh, the, the irony is that, you know, that album peaked at, 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 you know, number 50 here. And then 18 years later, a very similar compilation comes out and it is, Depending on which which chart you look at, it is it is well. If for one thing, it was the biggest selling album of the first decade of this of the twenty first century, mm-hmm. and it is again depending on which list. It's it's among the top ten biggest selling albums of the twenty first century, despite the fact that the newest note. On that on that album, I'm speaking, of course, of one. Yes. Um, that the newest note on that album was recorded 50 years ago. Yeah. So I mean, that's that is absolutely amazing. It's um, nobody expected that to happen. All right. It, I think we're at that part of the show where it's it's very tragic. Uh, we have to wrap things up. Oh, I know. I we're both in tears. Absolutely. You know, it's heart wrenching. Yeah. Anyways, if you this want, is... if you want to hear more from Al, uh, go get your subscription to Beetle Fan Magazine, or go down to your local Tower Records if you're still living in two thousand and five. Something like that. Yeah, and go get his book, Changing Times. 101 days that shaped a generation that uh you may have uh you um for the book you probably may have to go for the uh the kindle version (laughs) because the the print version is a little tough to get right now all right so for those of you at home go buy a kindle and then buy this book or if you have a kindle app yeah. You can, uh, you know, on your, you know, your iPad or whatever, or your phone, whatever. Yeah. You can, um, you can get it there. Yeah. Bottom line is just get his fucking book. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't be an idiot. <laughs>
Right. So thank you so much, Al, for coming on. Thank you. Absolutely. It's been, it's been a treat. Yeah. It's been a, been a treat for me. It's uh, it was a, a fun, uh, as, as James Taylor would say, it was, it's been a fun hang. All right. So, and for those of you at home, uh, well, I'm going to break the fourth wall here. I'm recording a big batch of these episodes in a two-week span. I don't know when this episode will be uploaded. Uh, maybe by then the coronavirus will be over. Maybe the planet will be uh, completely taken over by the lizard people. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, thanks for listening and ta-ta for now. Dance on the Run is produced by Ethan Alexander. Additional voiceovers by Richard Phillip. This has been a Showtown production.